This is the Janet Killeen Books Podcast. I'm reading from my collection of short stories, There is a Season. This story is called Expat. The corners of rooms... The edges of walls and steps felt distinct and sharp to her fingers, as crisply geometric as the architect's drawing. Outside a clarity of blue sky, and all around them the gouged earth, red where it had been torn, and the cream rock exposed to grey in the heat. She saw in her mind a garden allowed to return to the hillside, flowering purple and gold in April, and the rocks sheltering pulsing lizards, labouring beetles and millipedes, butterflies, the song of birds. She touched his arm gently, warmly. Thank you, she said. He moved away, startled, to resume his conversation with the agent, their words embellished with gesture and concluded with handshakes and shoulder slaps. Over the weeks the house became theirs. Electrician and plumber left, the furniture arrived. She took possession of the kitchen. Outside the garden and the drive were scraped and smoothed into order and oleanders planted at the boundaries the swimming pool filled, turning its unblinking turquoise eye to the sky. She began to sense an uneasy, syncopated rhythm to their lives, as they spent more hours together now than at any time since the early days of marriage. An awkwardness of frequent encounters in an unfamiliar house. Conversation about practicalities, shopping, the car's availability, food the guests due that evening, contact by telephone with their two sons and the grandchildren. They became part of an embracing social circle. Brenda and John, so quick to visit from their house overlooking the bay. Dave and Maureen, Monica and Tom. She saw the appraising eyes as she and Steve showed them the house and its raw garden. There were barbecues, the men reddened with heat and the wives standing back to let them cook and bond. Conversation gathered stridency as the sun dropped towards the edge of the sea and darkness fringed the foothills to the west. One evening of so many, she remembered the success of their sons. A flourish of jobs, a fanfare of accountants and managing directors each following their father's steps of achievement, and their names, too, would be inscribed one day in property on these timeless hills. She felt herself fling her words as if they were a stone into a flowing river. I would have loved a daughter to see her grow, but ours died two hours after she was born. The eyes opposite her widened, flinched, turned away before the water closed over her words. Much later, he spoke thickly and angrily. Don't speak of the past, 
Can't you see we're making new friends here? They aren't interested in our private lives, and it's time you moved on. In the syncopation of their days, she found that they could live comfortably in the unspoken agreement of separation. She loved the early morning, rising to the sharpness of clear, thin air, the wild flutes of bird call and the far-off bleat and chime of goats. She circled the garden, touching leaf and bud, then looking far out towards the distant mountains. Before he awoke, she walked to the village to collect the bread and shared breakfast with him when he came downstairs. She planned the decoration of the villa, searching carefully for local glass and pottery, choosing rugs and wall hangings. In the back streets of the local towns, she found antiques, copper kitchenware and precious embroidery. He went to join friends and colleagues, and his days were filled. Water sports, plans for a property consortium, the internet cafe in the nearby town, the newspapers from England. In the evening, when they were not entertaining or visiting, he joined friends in the local bar and followed passionately the fortunes of football teams that he had never noticed before. She gradually excused herself and spent many evenings alone, standing on the balcony to watch the fading light. Red echoed in rose and lemon, high in a turquoise sky. In those moments, she breathed completely, as though her whole being had become utterly absorbent, and felt herself attuned to the light, to the elusive fragrance of the warmed hills, the softened sounds of creatures, and the distant calls and cries of children. How did it come to this? she asked herself. How could this dream, so long planned and talked about, a dream of the early, the adventurous days of our relationship, how could it come to this separation, this utter distance of thought and taste and desire? She allowed herself sometimes the entry of memory, fearfully at first. She found that in this ancient place remembrance came slowly, its sharpness smoothed by the dimensions of time, far older, far more patiently endured than her small story. Her fragments of recollection fitted carefully in the frieze of other lives, other triumphs, desertions and desolations, and this brought a strange solace and companionship. She traced the labyrinth of those early days of relationship, she, the girl from Camberwell, struggling through grammar school to university and resolutely smoothing from her voice the pinched vowels of her home streets. He was so confident in every detail of life that had daunted her and swept her into a relationship that constantly surprised her. Why had he chosen her? Naive and inarticulate was the verdict she passed on herself then and now. Yet when she looked back at the young man he had been, and she so torn between guilt and fear and excitement in the first days and nights of their intense physical relationship, she felt herself experience a new truth. How had she felt about his, and she laughed gently, unmastered importunity? When he had come to her room in college, urgent, passionate, 
She had truly felt what? Excitement. Desire. The hot whispering of fear and guilt, yes. But pity? Pity. She had apprehended even then, in the midst of the intensity of feeling and longing, that he would always be driven to desire the unattainable, always seizing and never holding. And for all of their lives together, she had seen him as the leader, the directing force, to be served, to be admired in his decisiveness. And now the whole balance of their relationship had swung round in her mind and she saw herself as the truth-holder, the keeper of feeling. This recognition of the integrity of her mind was a gift to her like the astringent wind from the cold summits of the mountains to the west of the island, restoring choice and courage. So, in the days that followed, she allowed into her mind truths that had stood waiting but had never been admitted the struggle, as well as joy, of raising the two boys. The daily journeys to the prep school and then to the college, each day shaped around them and their father's long hours at work, and her own part-time teaching squeezed into the corners of her thought and energy. And yet how much it had meant to her to share creativity and to see minds catch fire with the passion she felt for poetry. And underneath the slow trickle of the unmourned grief of the two-hour-known daughter, known for months in the movement and flutters of life, and then the growing sense of stillness and enervation, as though an instinct told her that this child was too weary to be born. Now as she walked the high paths over the hills, she let herself feel the grief and the sun and breeze tended her. She had known two of her husband's affairs, the long hours after work, the weekend conferences. She had always known, recognising the energy, the explicit affection, the gifts of jewellery and perfume on his return for what they were. But she had never let that knowledge be formed in words in her mind, nor come into her mouth or eyes. The boys, so soon men, had married and introduced them to their partners not as dad and mum, but with careless modern familiarity as Steve and Trish, and had rushed on in their lives, building on the success of jobs in business and finance, and setting out for their sons the same pathways of school and university that they themselves had followed. Sometimes she wondered whether she would ever have relationship with her daughters-in-law, could she ever say to them out of her own truth? And what about you? Perhaps, Miranda, there had been maybe a moment of recognition. Now, however, it was urgent to live fully, to seek herself every day, to let time sift through thought and memory and desire. The distance between them grew and gaped, even though they met daily, as she drifted away from his connections. She knew that he took his frustration to the gym and the squash court, and smashed and sweated it out, and spoke of her with half-apologies to his friends. Never quite adjusted to this new life, she overheard him say with a laugh. Always a dreamer, my wife, not one for sport or parties. 
she recognised that he was forming relationships. Intense ties of sport and fishing, football partisanships that she could not, need not share. The telltale signs, too, of an affair. I would like a car of my own, she said to him over breakfast one day. Nothing big or special, but to explore the roads and villages in the mountains. I would like to paint, and the fields are full of flowers in April and May. I have some money of my own from my teacher's pension. Do you think it's possible? He wiped his mouth before answering. Chewing, she noticed, as though her words were a cud of extraordinary substance which he could not swallow. Well, yes, if that is what you want, he answered. I'll go and see Yanis in town tomorrow. Something small, but reliable. Are you sure about those mountain roads? She smiled, grateful again that he asked no more questions, accepting her reasons and placing them in that pre-labelled envelope in his mind. Thank you, she said, and remembered that day more than a year ago when they had first stood in possession of the house. Driving up into the hills brought her endless delight. She stopped by fields transfigured by crown daisies, by the brilliance of poppies. She touched the tassels of the grape hyacinth, the stars of salsify and asphodel, the gloss of anemones. The ancient ruins of other lives and dwellings lay scattered in fields of white and gold. She felt how time itself walked between the gnarled olive trees. Gradually she learned how to identify and where to find the miracle of orchids, the song of birds and hum of insects, the scent of brushed herbs from the hillside, and over a garden wall the fragrance of lemon or orange tree filled all the cavities of her head with gentleness. Sometimes she parked the car in village squares, greeting the women of the village who came in time to recognise her and offer water and honey cakes. She learned enough of the language to ask and thank, to inquire her way, to speak of their children, to admire. Sometimes they led her to a church, not the large one ornate with coloured glass in the village centre, but the little chapel high up on a narrow path where the old village had grown organically from the rock. There she found frescoes waiting for her for five hundred years. She saw how the darkness left at the approach of her candle, not in retreat, but as a guardian might step back to allow a reunion, child and parent, light and colour. The flowers, the frescoes, she photographed and then returned home to paint, turning a small guest room into her own studio, patient with herself as she learned to mix colour, to capture the brilliance of light, the intensity, to witness within herself over the three years that followed a transfusion of beauty, a deep and reverent content. When she fell late one still May afternoon, she rested amongst stones dispersed by time, a fragment of a carved frieze, its curve still sharp from the chisel, flat, cool marble, a fractured column's base around which trailed wild bryony. For moments of immensity she held each image, 
a dry flicker of lizard close to her hand, the carob's fallen blackened wealth, the poppy's brilliant vermilion, drew her then into an understanding of colour, beyond naming, beyond all definition. After the funeral, he gathered with friends and his sons and their wives. He stumbled between blurred sympathies and reassurances of help, always at the root of his mind, questioning what was it that had driven him all those years ago to choose her. He remembered the urgency of it, but what had driven him? Here, now, he felt only the lack of understanding between them, her inability to join him in the relationships and interests of their small community. Thank God she'd never had a clue about his life, never suspected the other relationships that he'd had. Always been a good mother to the boys, but insisted on teaching. Could never be argued out of it. She was, what? He struggled. She was fey, awkward, elusive. And it was her elusiveness that had made her desirable all those years ago. The mysterious girl of her year. They all talked of her, tall, clever, beautiful. He had to possess her. He never thought it would last, but the first of the boys came along, and they did not have much choice then about marriage. And their early years had been happy enough. He'd done his best to provide for her. Why, this house and their life here. They had dreamed of it all those years ago. His son's wife, Miranda, came to him. I never knew that she could paint, she said. Those pictures in her studio, they're beautiful, Steve. He gazed at her, realising that he had never really looked, never concerned himself with his wife's discoveries, and that she'd spoken less and less of what she found on her drives into the hills. Choose what you would like, he said abruptly. Then, for a moment, he saw her clearly, Thirty-five years or more ago, vital and laughing. The duration of a slide in the projector's shutter. They had spent a hot day wandering the ruins of King Minos' palace, and he had paused under the shade of the great pines. She had half-turned as she scrambled over the ancient stones of Knossos, pointing to a brilliance of flowers. I won't be long, she called. Wait for me. Now, as then, he turned away impatiently, shunting the slide across in his mind so that it gaped blank in a beam of empty light and broke the thread. You have been listening to X Pat from the book There is a Season. Read by the author Janet Killeen produced by Duncan P.B. For more stories, please subscribe on iTunes or from wherever you get your podcasts.